this morning we're continuing in our series in 2 Corinthians. The couple of weeks that we're in right now, starting last week and carrying on to four Sundays from now, is kind of like a mini-series within the series because as we've learned with uh, different people who have come and shared context of the letter and different things that there's at least three, if not four, different divisions within the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a place called Corinth. And so to do a little bit of review, uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, and so just to give you a picture of where, where things are and why Paul is writing this letter, I'm going to... Uh, take a cue from last week and go ahead and put my Apple Watch on the side there so it's not following me around every time I move my arm. So the church itself grew from Jerusalem, which is kind of down in that, that, that left right-hand corner there in what we would call today Palestine. But back then it was um, it was a Roman-occupied region that the city of Jerusalem sat in, and Jesus' disciples, uh, they preached and ministered in the city of Jerusalem, and God did a mighty work at the day of Pentecost when he poured out his spirit on the church, and at least 3,000 people were saved that day and added to the church, and God kept adding to the church, and eventually those people went home because they were just there on holiday, and they went home to all their different places, and the gospel of Jesus spread with them. And so over the course of time, you had the Apostle Paul who was raised up to, um, to minister to the non-Jewish people. He traveled uh, different excursions to go and preach the gospel, build churches, which at that time wasn't a church structure building, per se, but it was actually just a, a gathering of people together who would uh, break bread together, they would share things in common, they would read the scriptures together, they would talk about the Lord, they would talk about uh, the different <clears throat> uh, teachings that Jesus had passed on to the disciples, and now as apostles, they passed that on to the church, and so they reflected on the apostles' teaching together. And so Paul, he was amazing at starting churches and he just he it was like he had well divine guidance through it but he decided to do this in big bigger cities where then you could have um, more influence in the region and one of those places was Corinth and so just to give you a picture because I think pictures are always helpful so Jerusalem's all the way down in this right-hand corner, and Corinth is all the way up in within the map. It's like all the way across the Mediterranean Sea in a region called Achaia. And, um, and so quite a distance. You could travel by land to get there. Uh, also a common way of travel was to go by boat, but it would take quite a long time to travel from church to church and Paul, at the time that he's writing what we call Second Corinthians, is actually on his third missionary journey 
and he's just writing to check in with the churches, give a word of encouragement to them. Now, if you've been in church long, you know that what we call 2 Corinthians is preceded by 1 Corinthians. And that's not just a, a sequential order thing. There's a big difference between the letters. The first letter that we have in the New Testament to the Corinthians was a letter of rebuke and correction and encouragement and, and everything. But the large theme was, you guys are messing it up. You need to get back on track. Some time has passed. Not going to go into all those details, but by this point that Paul is writing, he's writing to comfort them. Now, along in that, that train of thought of trying to comfort them and encourage them in their faith is <clears throat> this practice of sharing in community, where the community of faith, although it spread out across the known world at that time, they were all one in the Spirit and in the Lord and in their faith and in their baptism. They were one together. There weren't like this flavor of church over here and this flavor of church over here and we all have the same Bible, but you know, these people like order and these people like chaos and ah, all these things. Everybody was one. And so what they would do is they would take up a collection along the way, not to pad their pockets or anything, but to help support other believers in other churches, specifically the church in Jerusalem where they were having a lot of hard times and persecution from the religious leaders and whatnot. And so we're in a section where Paul is talking about the collection. And uh, I've kind of, I'm not trying to say what the scripture isn't saying, but I've tried to kind of frame this section in a way that we're talking about the topic of generosity as, as both a family value within the church as well as just a practice that we do because Jesus loved us enough to be generous with his grace to us, and I'm getting ahead of myself already. But the point is that this was a value within the church, and so as Paul would go from church to church, he would mention this collection, and it wasn't, uh, you know, to get the next best boat to take the gospel to the world or anything like that. Uh, it wasn't to do any, it was probably to feed people and make sure that they had clothing and that they were safe, that they had uh, medical access and that kind of deal, first century style <laughs> in first century Palestine. And so all that is just a good context to wrap our minds around where we're at in the letter of 2 Corinthians. You can go to the next slide. So as a review, last week we talked about the big idea that generosity flows from our joy that comes from salvation. That when we practice generosity, it's not just us wanting to be good people. It's not just us thinking, ah, oh, I have empathy and compassion for that person. I think I just well, I have this few extra dollars, I guess I'll, I'll give that to them, or I can, you know, make them a sandwich or whatever. I don't know. But 
it really, it's not just generosity for generosity's sake or because, like, that's what good humans do. It's really that it's this, when we are saved, when we experience salvation in, in all the, the depth and breadth and everything of what that means for yours and my life, there is a joy that wells up inside of us to where when we hear about people's needs, we want to go and respond to that. And Paul, he's talking to the Corinthians who were actually pretty affluent. Um, but as we'll see in just a moment, they were eager to help. They too had this joy inside of them that was welling up from salvation, but, but they had things that they needed to work on and they needed some perspective. And so even though this section, we're just getting started with it and it's going to feel at times like a bit of correction, that's okay, don't worry. It's still Paul encouraging the church and also opening up his heart to the people and letting them know, hey, generosity is something that we all share together. And so that brings us to the title for today's message is Sharing in Community. Sharing in Community. The passage we'll be talking about is 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 15. And the big idea we're going to be exploring together today is that generosity trusts God to supply the needs of his people. Generosity trusts God to supply the needs of his people. You can go to the next slide. Uh, to get an idea about this thing of generosity, over the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a lot of different kinds of images that I try to evoke some sort of emotion from you because it's just... It helps. Pictures help, like I said. And here's an example of some kind of a food drive, food share, something like what you might experience over at the place in town called Food Share, where there's this big table full of food, and there's volunteers who are putting together boxes and, and that kind of thing to, in order to help the, the very real present needs of folks in our community who don't have easy access to food. The danger in talking about generosity is we can sometimes get caught in just one certain mindset where it's like, oh, Pastor Tim's just talking about money. He just wants us to tithe more. Uh, not necessarily, but in, in, in the scripture, Paul is talking about actual literal money but in application for you and I today, generosity can take on a whole plethora of ways you can do it because really it's a heart position that we have because of our faith in Jesus. So as we look to the scripture today, uh, that generosity, it's, it's something where we get to participate in generosity and God uses our generosity to supply the needs of others as well as our own needs. And it's an interesting dynamic how that works. And though it's not always tit for tat, that at the same time, God uses that generosity to supply the needs of his people. So let's go ahead and uh, turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning in verse 8. 
worked out convenient that way today. Um, and if you'd like to follow along on the screen, you're welcome to do that as well. Okay, Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, said, I am not commanding you, but <laughs> I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, recorded by the Apostle Paul. And I would submit to you today that the first thing we see in our passage is that sharing in community sincerely looks like practicing unconditional sacrificial love. That's a mouthful, so I'm not going to say it a second time. But, <laughs> but it, I guess I will. It, it, it looks like, it sincerely looks like, you're, if you're looking for what sharing in community looks like, it looks like unconditional sacrificial love. Where on earth do I get all this stuff? First of all, Paul mentions in verse 8, he says, I want to test the sincerity, there's that sincerely word, of your love. By what? Comparing it to others, the earnestness of others. But then he follows it up. I love this. By, by pointing out, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we practice love because we know the grace of Jesus. That, that word for love, is it, it comes up so often in the New Testament. It's the Greek word for unconditional love. But in the context of the scripture, it's not just God giving us a free pass. God paid for that free pass with his blood on the cross. And although we are a resurrection people, we believe in the new life, we cannot neglect the fact that that unconditional love was a sacrifice and it still costs something 
It was paid one time for all, but we still experience that sacrifice as we, as we practice this love and as we engage in that. And so it looks like practicing unconditional, sacrificial love. And what that looked like was how Jesus, though he was rich, did Jesus have a lot of money? No. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. But in his authority, in his position, in his, in his, just the way Jesus was, he was full and rich and abounding in love, yet for our sake, he became poor. There's a great worship song from the 90s called Here I Am to Worship, um, where the uh, line from the second verse says, all for love's sake became poor, talking about Jesus, how it's the fact that Jesus loved us so much that even though he was rich, even though he is the king of his kingdom, he became a servant to all and submitted himself to death on a cross for you and for me and for everybody in the world. Now, what on earth does that have to do with sharing in community? Well, Paul brings it up because this is how he starts this portion of his argument in reminding them about this collection that he wants them to know. He's not commanding them. He's not saying, you better do this or else, but he is calling them to account. He's saying, look, you were the first to do this. You were the first to respond. Here's why. Because of Jesus' love. You know the grace of Jesus. You know it. It's not a foreign concept. You know it. Today you know it. And as a result of that, that's why you share. Now, so I've included on the screen just a lot of examples of what sharing in community can sometimes look like. So you have in one of the upper corners that food bank kind of mentality where we're, we got our grocery sacks out, we're sharing food, we're, we're sharing the, the supply that we have. There's also uh, some kids picking up trash along the beach just like uh, you might see over, uh, over at Exploding Whale Beach Park, but it's not that one, I promise, because I got it off the internet. Um, then in another corner, you have something that we participate in that we are looking forward to in the month of November. We participate and partner in Operation Christmas Child, which is a ministry uh, with Samaritan's Purpose Organization. And so that's a way that we practice that unconditional sacrificial love. Sometimes, even though it's, uh, we just got out of the start of school season and all those back-to-school supplies were, were uh, a significant discount, sometimes 50 cents is a big sacrifice, especially if your bank account is much closer to zero and you happen to have 50 cents. Sometimes that small cost can be a big sacrifice all to show some kids in some country that we're never going to meet face-to-face -face the love of Jesus. And then in the other corner, we got this example of, you know, somebody at a soup kitchen practicing love by 
pouring out soup into a bowl for somebody where maybe that's the only meal they've had for days. Why do I have these images? Well, because I like them, but also because I think in a very practical way that these are examples of, not limited to, but examples of how you and I can sacrifice the time we've been given. And time is really precious, wouldn't you agree? We can sacrifice the treasure that we've been given because everything we have comes from the Lord, including the provision that we have for our, our daily sustenance and, you know, and us living in uh, America, which happens to be the richest nation in the world, one of them. But man, there's a whole lot of poverty going on, but we can share of what God provides through that. And we can also just share that overflow and abundance that God has gifted us with, those talents that, that he's given us where, man, maybe you're not really good at public speaking like the majority of the world. Maybe you're not really good at, you know, playing an instrument or something. Or maybe you're not really good at, you know, what we might call formal evangelism or whatever. But man, you love hard and people feel that when you minister to them when you do something as simple as handing them a bowl of soup or if it's you know one of the the our our friends who live outdoors if you're just giving them a cup of coffee or even just a smile man that can go a long way, all bubbling up from the fact that we are saved, we have this overflow. And so the reason we practice generosity is ultimately it goes back to this idea that we have a deeper trust in our God who supplies our needs more than the stuff that we have. That we're not banking on our stuff, we're banking on God. And so generosity as a point of sacrifice, sometimes it's really hard to practice that trust of God that even if our brain knows it and maybe our heart even tries to feel it, sometimes it's hard to do that generous thing for many, many reasons it can be hard. But generosity ultimately trusts God to be the one to supply the needs of his people, which oftentimes, by the way, happens through you and me. And that's a reciprocal thing where we also are recipients of that supply and that need. So this makes me wonder, what are the ways that God is calling our church to share God's love? Uh, that's a rhetorical question. Don't answer that right now. Just chew on it. Wait. <laughs> but... The point being, what is God calling our church uniquely to do in our community? Because, friends, there are a lot of other churches in town where they do an excellent job at sharing the love of Jesus through helps ministry kind of things where there's a need in our community and we, we, we can partner with them in that and everything. But what could we do? What might we overhear God saying Anchor of hope, I want you to do this. 
something to think about. And how might you participate in that to practice that unconditional sacrificial love? So this brings us to our next point, is that sharing in community follows through on the willingness to partner with what God is doing. So continuing on, we have uh, Paul in verses 10 through 12. He, even though this is a thing of comfort, he's issuing a judgment here. Did you feel the weight of that? Whew. Here is my judgment. Ouch, Paul, calm down. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. And so then he goes into holding them to account. Last year, you were the first to even give and even want to desire to help. And then he points out, now finish the work. Woo. So you mean we can't just talk about it? We can't just pontificate on like, oh, what does it mean to share in community? What does Jesus mean when he says love others? That's so amazing. I can say it in Greek. And, you know, different things like that. What if we actually followed through? Like, he, he points out, it's great that you have this eagerness, that you wanted to help. You responded, whoo, go team. Now do something about it. Do something about it. This makes me think of, you know, plans in, in building projects. We... I'm kind of in uh, a building kind of frame of mind right now, both in my house and then uh, here at the church, just with different buildings needs and different things. But this makes me think of a bricklayer. I was going to use somebody with a hammer, but a bricklayer uh, is sufficient. But what's fascinating is when you want to go and build a wall for a structure, not to keep people out, but just to define a space and all of that, there's an intentionality behind it, isn't there? Uh, usually there's maybe it, you, you count the cost of what it's going to cost you to do the project. So cost of bricks, mortar, uh, cost of hiring somebody to do it if you don't do it yourself. Also maybe putting in some of that elbow grease and, and laying some of those bricks yourselves. The wall might fall down, but you have pride. So, <laughs> um, but there is something to be said for when we have this grandiose idea of like, wouldn't it be great if we had this kind of a building or we did this kind of a thing and we could knock out this wall and build up this wall over here and we could do all of this. It actually takes getting down and dirty in the project to get it done. Eventually, someday, you gotta pick up the trowel mix up the mortar, and start laying some bricks. Now, I'm using that metaphorically because not all of us like bricks, and not, you know, not all of us can lift that weight and put it down and all those things. That's not what I'm talking about. That's an illustration. But what I am saying is that what are the things that we are committed to as a church that God has uniquely led us to be committed to that we, maybe we were super eager to do it, but somehow we let off of the gas and we haven't been doing it. And maybe the project gets undone 
unfinished, incomplete. What might God be calling you to finish the work on in the context of our church and maybe even in, in your personal life? Because, friends, it, lip service only goes so far. At some point, you need to back up that lip service with action. And that's not to say anything about, oh, this work is going to help add to your, to your salvation or anything like that. Please don't misunderstand me in case you happen to go there. That's not what I'm saying. In the letter to, uh, from the Apostle James uh, later on in the New Testament, he points out the idea that faith without works is dead. That we can say we believe all we want, but what are we doing for the orphans? What are we doing for the widows? Are we backing up our declaration of that faith with action that supports that reality that says, yep, they actually do believe what they believe. They do believe that God is working through the church and that God can work through even just our simple, meager means. So, generosity, it trusts God to supply the needs of his people. And so when we go to work and we go to apply that word or that, that, that commitment that we had, ultimately there's a trust that no matter what the cost is, God's going to supply the need for that work. It's not something that um, I think he pointed out there. So in verse 12, for the willingness is there, good. The gift is acceptable according to what one has. So he's not asking above and beyond those means. But then, I love this because it reminds me of my children. He says, not according to what one does not have. Ha! Because my kids, oh, they're so good. And they get it from me, I'm sure. But, um, but they're really good at like, well, I would give this, but I don't have that. <laughs> right? You chuckle because either you've been that person or you've heard your children say those things. <laughs> and so, um, man, God supplies the need of his people. We don't have to think like, is God actually going to do it? He is. He's good. He's faithful. We can trust him. This brings me to my third and final point is that sharing in community, it calls us to participate in actualizing equality in the family of God. What on earth do I mean by that? Well, as we read, Paul makes this grandiose sweeping statement about how equality is the goal, that we're not trying to benefit some at the expense of others, but we're trying to share in community. And so it, sometimes it can be like a dance where he points out your abundance supplies their need. And guess what? Their abundance supplies your need. Isn't it funny how it works that way sometimes? Now I know that that, as much as I love America and American culture, that kind of rubs against, you know, consumerism. Doesn't, does it not? Or capitalism? That's not, sharing is not 
a value of capitalism unless it's money and we just hoard money and all of that. I digress and don't send me an angry letter over that one. But anyway, my point is we actualize equality. We bring it into the here and now. We actually get to see equality happen if we practice generosity. And I love, you can go to the next slide. Paul reinforces this with this strange reference to Exodus chapter 16. It might have been in your footnote. You might have said, hmm, that's an interesting quotation. So in Exodus 16, some of the backstory there of what was going on, God had done this amazing work to rescue and deliver the people of Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt. They're out in the wilderness, and they run out of food. And then they start to bellyache along the way, and they're like, why, why did you save us if you're just going to leave us out here to die? We, we had full pots, supposedly, in Egypt. We could have totally been eating back then. We had prime rib there. You know, what? I don't have anything here. And so they complain to Moses. Moses brings that request to God. And so God provides them with this strange substance called manna, which literally just means, what is it? Um, because they'd never seen anything like it before. It's this miraculous bread-like substance. And so the trick with manna was you could have as much as you wanted for the day. You just had to go out and get it. You know, early bird gets the worm kind of thing, but early person gets the manna. So you get out there, and manna's all over the ground, and you, you, you harvest the manna, but you couldn't leave any till the next day. Because otherwise, like some people found out, somehow within this miracle of manna, also leftover manna turned to maggots. And that's just not good. We don't want that. That's not for anybody. Um, but they learned their lesson. The only exception to that was on as you were preparing for the Sabbath day when you could uh, gather up a double portion for yourself. But the fascinating thing in this whole miracle of God providing bread from heaven is that everyone gathered just as much as they needed. It reminds me of the Rolling Stones song, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. And I love, I love telling that to my children because they think they want a whole lot of things and they think their needs. But, but I digress. So anyway, but God, he provides this bread. You can go to the next slide. And it's kind of like in Jesus' example of prayer in Matthew chapter 6, I believe, is, or 5 or 6, somewhere in that range, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving this example and in this prayer that he tells his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. How many of us might be offended if God only gave us our daily bread? Like literally, here's your daily portion, kid. I, I would be a lot thinner if that was the case. Uh, anyway, uh, but 
you know, that idea of just having enough, but it would be, there would be equality, there would be a shared experience among the family of God where our needs would be supplied if we practice generosity. And so, the trouble with that, though, is I don't know about you, but at different times of my life, Sometimes it's hard, even if, like, I think I trust God, even if I feel like I trust God, sometimes I don't really trust God. Sometimes I think, God, you, you want me to be generous with that, but that, that was the portion I thought you gave to me. <laughs> but being able to recognize that everything we have comes from God's hands. Every, even the breath we breathe, even the fact that you and I have a heartbeat today comes from the Lord. The fact that, you know, whether you, you catch the latest strain of a virus or and you live or you die, God gives and he takes away. But through it all, God proves himself trustworthy. Are we watching for that? Are we looking for him to be trustworthy? Or, like so many people, especially in the people of Israel, are we waiting for the other shoe to drop? Because generosity, it trusts God to supply the needs of his people. Are we really trusting? How, how might we, imagine with me for a moment, how might we participate? in actualizing equality in the family of God. One of the ways we could do that is looking around our community, is sharing some of the things that God gives us, whether it's our, our time, our talent, or our, our treasure, whether that's in, in this, this church body or if it's one of the churches down the road. That's one of the reasons why we partner with Crossroad Assembly, and we've continued that partnership. One of the things they need, I don't think the need has really gone away, is they need helpers with their third through fifth class. And I don't know what the commitment looks like for that. Uh, you can talk to me later about it, and I'd love to get you connected with Pastor Amanda over there. But how could we share that equality so none of us lacks, so that we would actually be a church, the whole church in Florence would thrive, and one wouldn't be above another, but we would all, all share and be on an equal playing field. I don't know. I invite you to think about that with me.